I could, I'll, I'll give a little bit of background and then we can kind of jump in. So this is the Light of Infinite Festival. It's born of a different project I had called Don't Block Your Blessings, which was actually inspired by a letter from the Rebbe. And somebody had written the Rebbe and basically he was, you know, listing all the different things that he was going through and, you know, requesting guidance. And the Rebbe's response just really resonated with me. And he had written that not to discount this person's hardships, writing to this person saying, not to discount them, but I could tell the way in which you're writing that you're not appreciating the blessings that you have. You know, you have a beautiful family, you have Parnosa and whatever the hardships would be. And he said, until you appreciate the blessings that you have, you won't necessarily be the recipient of new blessings. And I saw that as, you know, don't block your blessings. I immediately went on GoDaddy and Instagram to see if that was taken. Somehow it wasn't. So I started this project called Don't Block Your Blessings, inviting all sorts of different people from musicians, actors, and just people around the world to share sort of their, I was calling it cheat codes to happiness, like how they navigate the ups and downs of life, you know, and how to maybe not block your blessings and what tools they might have acquired to bring in blessings. And it's been incredible. And some people, you know, would write like, this has been so impactful and, and like, you know, just having to make this video just me thinking of these different things and appreciating different things in my life. So it's been pretty incredible. And it was during COVID. So there also wasn't really in-person concerts or any sort of conventions or anything like that. So I built out these rooms on the website and we had healers, musicians, and artists painting live. That was all around when my mom passed away. That kind of inspired me to do it. And then started this book series called Light of Infinite. It's five books. Today's the third book came out, The Sound of Illumination for Vaikra. And yeah, so this is part of the festival, but also part of the series that I do elevate every day. And I know you're very much in the space, inspiring a lot, a lot of people with your wisdom and a lot of things touching on a lot of these concepts in mental health and in spirituality. And so I kind of wanted to hear from you, you know, what comes to mind, keeping in mind the, the theme It's interesting of the that you're festival. telling me that uh, I didn't know the backstory that a lot of this came from the lockdown when... People were forced onto their computers all day and they were searching for connection because I have a very similar story. I think it was, it was around this time of year. Yeah, because Purim's coming up. So I remember I came back from an international trip right before Purim in 2020. And I remember going through customs and having to click on the screen that said, have you visited the Wuhan, the Wuhan of China. And I love <laughs> Tang. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I don't know any Wuhan. I'm sorry. So, and then everything just shut down. And it was interesting. I'd always, not always, but I, for a long time, I'd wanted to delve into Shara Betochen, which is uh, a section of Chai Vesalavavis, The Duties of the Heart, by Rabbeinu Bechai, which was written almost a thousand years ago. But it's a classic. It's a perennial classic, especially oh. the section called Shara Betochen, which is about uh, trust in Hashem. And so I said, you know what? No one's going anywhere. <laughs> no, I'm going to just sit on my computer every night. And that's what I did every night. And we're going to rock this thing. We're going to finish. We're going to finish the book. And that's what we did. And that's how I spent the first, like, two months of my lockdown. And it's incredible because, first of all, it changed my life. 
because I actually went through every word of the book in order, in a disciplined fashion, beginning to end, uh, in, a, in, a, in a timely way. So obviously reading stuff like that is going to have an effect on, on me. And then it touched so many other people. And okay, why, but why am I telling you this? Because like, obviously, everything that happened in that time, the lockdown and all the, all the obviously the, the, the people that we lost, it was terrible. Okay, I'm not minimizing that. At the same time, I have to admit truth. If I weren't forced into that really difficult situation, I wouldn't have learned the whole Shara B'Tochen. And then the thousands of people who learned with me Shara B'Tochen may not have learned. So, you know, it's like, but this to me is like, you know, they say when, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But this is like the, the problem itself is the solution. It's not just like make the best of it. It's like, no, it's not to make the best of it. It's like, if this hadn't happened, none of these blessings would have happened. So it's interesting. This whole festival has yeah. a similar was, origin story. Yeah, it was like a global Shabbat, you know, like we were fortunate enough to have Shabbat. So it's like this pause. And, you know, I think of so many, I'm sure you think of all these things on Shabbat because you're like not going through your regular routine. I uh, used to be music, now it's more writing. <laughs> and I'm like, I wish I could just, you know, figure, figure out somehow to compose it without writing. But, but yeah, so I feel like for a lot of people, it was a massive Shabbat. It was a massive reset, a very big pause. You know, people working from home, realizing you could get so many things done remotely, but also shifting in the way we're thinking and the way that we're doing things on like a massive global scale. So, yeah, I agree in terms of that. Yeah, Shar Bitachon is definitely an incredible book. I, th I think in that time I was getting more into Rabbi Nachman, the Kutay Maran, and also Tanya, which is, you know, I lived in Crown Heights and I wasn't so connected to the Alter Rebbe, like the teachings of the Rebbe at the time. Now I go back there for Shabbat and learn, you know, the Kutay O and all the Torah or and the Kutay Torah, and it's like amazing. But what, were, what are some of the other Sfarim book that you're most connected with and that you think resonates with the most I did a four-day uh, live stream last week. It wasn't literally four days. But for four days, every right. night I did, a, I did a live stream. It was a fundraiser for, for SoulWords, for my organization. And uh, you can even see the little glowing SoulWords. So every night I did a different topic. I did different topics, multiple topics. Things that my audience, my virtual community, enjoy. And the first night, two topics I did were two books, which are near and dear to my heart. First one is Shara B'Tochen, which we mentioned. And the second one was Tanya, which you also mentioned. Those, those, those two books. <laughs> and, I, and I mentioned them both as having had a profound effect on my life. I mean, Shara B'Tochen, I really only immersed in, you... in, 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 like I told oh. you, two, two, three years ago. Tanya is, has been... A, a an obsession almost of mine for co close to 20 years so wow so i wonder actually jumping into tanya because you know when i think about Likute malan and rabbi nachman's you know the the foundation like the core teaching i guess of breslov to me at least is the zamra you know judging things favorably but taking it to like you know the most extreme level where it's all like you have to internalize but it's talking about another person so if you're viewing another person and often we'll view somebody who maybe did something that hurt our ego or whatever. And we view it in this way that we almost see them at that moment as 99% bad, you know? And so the Zamra is like taking that 1% and 
And just like the moon, when we say like, you know, when we're sanctifying the new moon, it's really when it's at its smallest, not when it's at its most beautiful and oh, by right. the way, So taking that one percent. And yeah, it was, it was yeah. Like, right, so. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. Which is, there we go. So you got to put that in. Right? Okay. Yeah. So that when you have the little sliver of the moon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, very on top of it. Exactly. So there we go. So seeing that sliver, seeing that 1% in that other person, of course, we're all ta also talking about within ourselves, you know, and then seeing that and judging that favorably and kind of showering love on that, then you're able to like switch it from like the 1% good and 99% bad to like slowly seeing 99% good and 1% bad. It's just like that perspective shift, you know? And I think that's at the core of the breast of teaching throughout all the different Torahs you could bring it in. That's how I view it. And I'm curious, you know, Tanya, it resonates with me also so much. It's, and also just seeing a lot of the parallels in the teachings. But yeah, I'd love to hear what do you think, you know, for somebody who maybe hasn't learned or even if they are, but like what's one of the major teachings that you feel like is, is you know, one of the core epic? <laughs> Tanya is the most demanding and most gentle book at the exact same time that's the core it's <laughs> okay. demanding in that it will call upon you to achieve spiritual levels that you hadn't even dreamt of and and, and in that sense it's incredibly demanding and at the same time it's so realistic and validating about all of our our, our our defects and our and our twists of character and it's just this really wild paradox where you have idealism and practicality totally fused together so it's uplifting but it's also like comforting at the same time you know what actually when you started off and you said that you were motivated by a letter from the Lubavitcher Rebbe that you saw were were you know, but don't block your blessing. That's how you translated the Rebbe's letter into your own words. But the Rebbe was basically saying to somebody, you know, you're complaining about the blessings you don't have, but like, why don't you start by counting the blessings you do have, and that'll bring in more blessings. So I, I almost wanted to stop you because you said something that was so great, but I didn't want to, I don't want to break your flow. We could listen to it back and hear exactly what you said, but it was something like the Rebbe, like, says to the person, hey, you got to count your blessings. But without, I don't remember what word you used, but it's something like without invalidating, oh, yeah, right? Do you remember the yeah, words yeah. you used? Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. to discount. Not to okay. discount. So um, that's such an art yeah, to yeah. be able to simultaneously demand from somebody and say, hey, man, you can do better, but without invalidating or discounting or being dismissive. Because it's, it's easy to do one or the other. Like, it's easy to validate right. everyone. Oh, you're beautiful. Don't ever change. You don't have to do anything. God loves you, baby. That's easy to do. It's all, and then, it, but it's also easy to do the, the other extreme, which is you're awful. You got to do more. You're unworthy. You don't even deserve to walk this earth right. until you, until you shape up. And, and like, both extremes are very easy. What's very difficult is to validate somebody and say, you know, like, you're good. I hear your pain. Uh, I, your your cause of pain is legitimate. I have empathy for you, and at the exact time, say, and dude, yeah. you got to work really hard here because there's so much more that you can achieve, and that that balance is such an art, and you see that in Tanya. To me, that's the essence of Tanya, and you see it. I mean, 
the Lubavitcher Rebbe is the descendant of the, the author of Tanya. So you see it in the Rebbe's teachings as well. Yeah, I think, I think that's what really resonates with me with Hasidus, learning the Alter Rebbe's teachings and also the Kutesichot, the Rebbe's teachings around the Parshion and everything that, that he teaches also. And all the Breslov teachings is that it's, when I'm reading it, like, you know, you see on Instagram people posting all these like positive, you know, in this healing wellness space, all these different teachings and, and thoughts and quotes. And when I'm reading like Tanya, like from back then and Mikute Maran, I'm just like, each one is just so much, there's so many gems in it. And I'm just like, wow, this is so mind blowing. And like you said, I think it gives people a lot of chizuk. So even if it's some tochera, even if it's some like, Okay, you know, especially when you're reading about the tzaddik or even the benoni, and you're like, I'm not it's even in the book of in-betweeners, and I can't even hope to be in-betweener. It's easier to read about the tzaddik because he already tells you that you're not expected to become one. It's off the table. And right. then you read about yeah. the, the well, benoni, and then it's like, hold on, I'm supposed to become that. Right, right. I mean, in some ways, I feel like the only way to make sense of the whole thing, because if the tzaddik is like he never sinned, or he didn't, no, if he like flipped his sins all into zikriyot, like if he took you know, like he, the whole thing is if you're if you're serving Hashem and with fear, but also with love, then you can like switch it rather than getting to like a level playing field. You're actually like rising from it. But if the Benoni never sinned, then how did the Tzaddik did sin? You know, so I feel like in some ways it's like the world is recreated at every moment. And this is my own take that, you know, you could be a tzaddik, like you're finding your inner Tzaddik. And at that moment, you could be a Tzaddik. You could try to hope to, continue those moments like choosing happiness choosing being a tzaddik over and over again but otherwise to me it doesn't really make mm -hmm. sense between the tzaddik and the benoni i have a very controversial uh, opinion about yeah <laughs> I, I think that the way that the rebbe taught tanya is different than the way it was taught historically when the altar come back in the resurrection of the dead after mashiach comes they're going to be blown away by the way that Rebbe taught Tanya. The Alter Rebbe had a Sefer Shal Tzaddikim, and it was lost in a fire. People think he purposely destroyed it. He didn't, but it was, it was lost in a fire. In some ways, I don't want anyone to take this wrong because this is not really actually, I don't mean this literally, but the way that Rebbe reinterpreted Tanya is almost like Sefer Shal Tzaddikim. And I think it's because Mashiach is so close, and when Mashiach comes, we're all going to be Tzaddikim, and I think that Rebbe started revealing ways how regular people can not only be the Bainini of Tanya, but can become a Tzaddik. I mean, the Rebbe said that clearly, by the way, that, the, you know, the Rebbe's Sunday dollars? Okay, so, so the day before the mm -hmm. Rebbe yeah, had yeah. his stroke, which, by the way, is coming up, the anniversary of that is coming up this month, Chav the 27th day of the month of Adar, is when the Rebbe had a stroke. He was at the Ahil in Queens, at this, his father-in-law's uh, resting place where he would go daven often. He had a stroke and he fell and he didn't speak publicly again after that. The day before that, he was giving dollars as he often would, uh, you know, he'd stand there all day, even in his advanced age, and give a dollar for tzedakah to everyone who came by. There was a guy from Toronto there named Gabriel Aram and he was publishing a, a magazine. He had like an executive magazine for, you know, Hatsi Shtatsi people. And if, it was a really unusual thing that he decided to make a whole issue about the Rebbe's birthday because the Rebbe was turning 90 the next month. So he came to the Rebbe and, and he said, it was, this was not a Jewish magazine at all. It's an executive magazine called Lifestyles Magazine. It's like a magazine, all the ads are like Rolex watches and, uh, you know, uh, Rolls Royce cars. So 
Actually, I don't think Rolls Royce advertises, but at any rate, it's that kind of it's that kind of stuff. Okay, so he says, so "Did ever what's the Rebbe statement?" It's in English. You can watch it online. He, he says, "What's the Rebbe statement for the world?" You know that we can include in the magazine. So the Rebbe says, "You know, the, the whole thing. The premise was that I was turning ninety. It's a the birthday article for the Rebbe turning ninety. So the Rebbe said ninety in Hebrew is tzaddik, and the lesson is that every single Jew can be a tzaddik. <laughs> in other words, he's trying to make it about the Rebbe." Like, oh, the Rebbe's so great. And the Rebbe flips it on you. No, it's about all you guys. You can, but, but then, remember, it wasn't a Jewish magazine. So he's like, well, what's, what's your lesson? Because the Rebbe said every single Jew can be a tzaddik. So he's like, so what's, what's your message for the rest of the world, you know, for the non-Jewish world? The Rebbe did not, did not pause. I mean, you can watch, it, watch the video. The Rebbe did not pause a tenth of a second. And the Rebbe said the same message. And through their seven Noah laws... You know, then seven laws that were given to Noah, who's the, the, the ancestor of all humanity. Every single human being can be a tzad. And that was the last day that Abba spoke publicly, the next day that Abba had a stroke. So that's, to me, like, really that Abba's message is lifting up the whole world, the entire world to become that tzaddik. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah, everything I hear, like I said, when I was living in Crown Heights, I was just... I mean, that's just how it goes. But like looking back at it, I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I had known all this. I wish I was knew all the brilliance that was that were in these books, you know, when I was actually <laughs> there every day. But you know, that's how it goes. And then you go back and you appreciate. It's it. all in God's but, time, yeah. you know. But yeah, one of my friends, David Ben Yehudu, I learned with a lot. He 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 grew up on the Moshav Modi and the Karlach Moshav. But he's he's incredible when it comes to. Rabbi Nathan's books, the Likutei Halachot, you know, the biggest follower of Rabbi Nachman. And he's always pushing me, you know, because I have massive fear of public speaking. And, you know, he was there when I was like trying to write these books and everything. But now I'm like pushing myself to speak all the time. I do a, like a big dinner at Tiferet Teiman down, down the street in LA. If anybody's, you're welcome to come for Shabbat dinner. But anyway, so he always, this always stuck with me. He's like, you have to imagine that everybody's going through such a hard, you know, all these different difficulties. So when you give over Torah, like in the way that the Rebbe especially exemplified, just always bring it to that sort of inspiring element. Because, you know, the, the old school way, at least like Lidfet, we you know, I went to Yeshiva in Israel. It's like some of these things, you know, you're like, well, I can't really achieve that. And then you kind of feel down and it's like it's not even in your grasp. But now I think it's just so important to focus on all the things that you can and, and reshifting these focuses. And just, I think the rebel is like, you know, getting somebody to put on tefillin and getting women to light candles and all the just different things that can, can be such a massive, massive shift. And it's crazy because we we're, were waiting for something to happen on a financial level just two weeks ago. And my friend has, has been waiting like for years. And finally this thing goes through and he calls me and he's like, I never lit candles in my life, like even when I was very, very religious. And I decided this Friday before Shabbat to like light candles. And I was telling him, I was like, you don't understand. It's, it's the same thing with how Hashem views and it's in this parsha coming up where it's like, if your heart compels you to give, you know, the offering and it's, it's not even about what you give, it's the heart that you, that you give it with. And in the same way, it's like, it's not about doing all the th if you're not doing anything and you do one little thing, the same way that I would, I think that the rebel would view it and how Hashem's viewing it is like, that's bigger than everything. You know what I'm saying? Because that's one shift towards where you're trying to go. The perspective of life. infinity. 
that from the perspective of infinity, the present moment and the present action have absolute value. Because from perspective of infinity, everything is of equal value or of no value. If it doesn't have absolute value, then it has no value. Because there's no such thing as relative value within infinity because you can't have a fraction or a piece of infinity. So from that perspective, like how valuable is doing the next mitzvah? <laughs> what do you mean how valuable is it? It's absolute value. It is everything <laughs> at that moment. Yeah, I think that, you know, the Zohar's interpretation of Breshit Bara is like, out of beginnings, the world was created, you know? So it's like, when you look at it, that the world is being recreated at every moment, then you can really see if you think that you're going in the wrong direction, then you don't have, you know, this one perspective is like, no, I'm already like, screwed. I'm, this is the path that I'm going on and it's dark and it's bad and everything's bad. And, but if you, if you think that, okay, if the world's being recreated at every moment, then I can choose my reality at this exact moment and start to shift towards this other thing. And even if I fall one time, okay, but that next moment is a new moment to start again, you know? And it's like, I think that's one of the, the things that help people the most, you know, because you have to have that hope and you have to have that realization that there's always that, you know, chance to continuously choose the good because there's always going to be the falls and you can't get that, that. awareness of all we have is the present moment is so useful in so many ways. So you mentioned one way in which it's useful that when we feel like we're on the wrong path, well, hold on a second, you're not on any path. I mean, the, the you that was messing up a second ago is not the you that is existing this second. Start fresh. Right. But there's so many uses to being aware of the the absolute newness of every second. And and one of one of the applications that I've been thinking a lot about myself and speaking a lot to others about unfortunately today a lot of people say that anxiety is a major part of their lives and anxiety is pretty much just about not being able to be present because it's i'm creating a personal mythology you know like a myth is a story is a narrative that a culture comes up to to explain something that's happening it's not that it's not happening the phenomenon is happening right but the story isn't necessarily the real explanation so it could be that my body is experiencing distress for any number of reasons. It could be I'm not eating and exercising right. It could be old trauma that I'm carrying. It could be for a lot of reasons. But then what the killer is is the mythology. I, I create a narrative to explain it. And, and, and that is so self-defeating. And that voice that comes to us with that same story just creates so much wasted time because instead of being in the moment and and with you here and now i'm up inside my head listening to that crazy myth so one of the things that i do for myself and i try to share with others is, is to talk about how all we have is the present that thing that you're catastrophizing about right now it's not happening now so it's not real like just be here just be present just right now what is happening like, and if it becomes too difficult, then then break it down really, really small. Like, what kind of chair are you sitting in? <laughs> you know, like, like, literally make it manageable <laughs> enough to contextualize yourself in the immediate present context. And, and, and then anxiety disappears. Now, I'm not claiming that the physiological symptoms disappear because sometimes they're going to be there for various reasons. 
but at least our brains aren't creating these crazy narratives that are then amplifying those physiological symptoms. Anyways, it's, it's, it's the brain that's the, that makes everything so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> that, that brain, yeah. I mean, the, the, so this is oh, my third awesome. book that came out wow. today. This is the proof copy, but it's called, it's called The Sound of Illumination. They say don't right judge a book by its cover, but um, it looks like a good book. Yeah, this is the second one and this is the first one. So you can, it's funny, I think Mayor Kay posted, he wrote, yeah, they say don't judge a book by its cover, but he's like, oh, he I'm going to judge this Joe? one because it looks pretty cool. So, yeah, he, he wrote that. He's <laughs> like, but I'm going to judge this one by its cover because I love it. So it's funny that you said that. But yeah, it's called The Sound of Illumination. And I was just like looking in the intro and there's one line, you know, like I wrote it already two years ago, but I had one line that said, ego is the death of wisdom. And it's sort of referencing two things. One is teaching from, teaching from Rabbi Nachman, but on this verse in Devarim, it is like, but in the Midbar, in the desert, you're gonna, you'll find the Matana, like you'll find this present. And it's because in the, like the desert represents Shtika, represents silence, silencing all these things that you're talking about that are in your head. And in, in, in other ways, it's also just, you know, if we think we know everything in any situation and somebody's talking, let's say you could learn from them or somebody else is telling you their experience, but even within our own experiences, if, if, if we can nullify the ego, then we can get that wisdom from that situation. But also just that shtika, like the chokhmah, the wisdom that comes from that is because we have to like quiet all mm -hmm. these things that are always in our head because most of them are either worried, mm -hmm. like thinking about something in the past that isn't serving us, that like we talked about, or these things that aren't going to happen anyway. And it's always these distractions from mm -hmm. being mm -hmm. present, you know? Yeah, I love that that teaching, the sort of thinking out as, as like, because it's like matana is a present, but it like comes from being present. And the silence of right. trying to get make, to that making a pun, right? I purposely make a pun. <laughs> now, <laughs> I am a dad. I, I have two kids, so <laughs> it happens. The presence, right? The gift of <laughs> this moment. The present to the present. Yeah. yeah. You know what else helps you get present and get so, out of your head? It's very simple, especially for yeah. overthinkers. Get into your body and do a mitzvah. Just do a mitzvah. Do a physical action that is good. And don't worry about how you feel about it. Yeah, it's always about taking action and, and reshifting the focus to others. You know, it's like when we're, it's funny because you have to kind of go out and get help. And, and then a lot of times that's like, where am I at? Like, what am I thinking now? Is this like, am I doing better? And, but it's like this constant questioning of where we're at <laughs> that sometimes keeps us away from where we could be. Cause it's like this obsession with, am I happy? Like, how am I feeling now? But Really, like the happiness comes from when you kind of like mm -hmm. push that mm -hmm. aside and stop thinking about that because continuously thinking about it, you know, yeah. makes it very hard to achieve. There's a famous story <laughs> in the, the Gemara about um, Rabbi Yechim yeah. Zakkai, the Tana, the great uh, sage. The, he was from the era of the Second Temple, he was the leader of the, the Jewish people during the destruction. And he was like the Moses in his generation. So it says that when he was passing away, he, he said, I don't know which direction, which path they're taking me on, whether to heaven or to Gehenna. So it's a perplexing story because he was such a, a great, righteous leader. I mean, why would he have any doubt that he had lived a righteous life? And there are many different explanations. But the, but the Rebbe gives one particular explanation, which I just, it's profound and it's also, it's like, it's so 
it's delightful. It's really delightful that ever says, Rabbi Yechman Zake was a busy guy and he was getting stuff done. You think he stopped and analyzed? No, he never analyzed. He was just doing. And therefore, at the end of his mission on earth, when he finally had a moment to reflect, he was like, hmm, I never considered before. Did I live a righteous life or not? Because he was just so busy uh -huh. doing it. He wasn't thinking about whether or not it was righteous. He was just doing the next right thing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it makes me think of like mitzvah lefanecha. It's always like, it's always <laughs> in front of you. It's always ahead of you. So you have to always stay in that thing. And I know the Lubavitch Rebbe always, you know, when somebody would say, okay, I did this, like you sent me here to do this and I did it and it was incredible. It, it was always like, okay, but what's next? Like, that's amazing. Let's, you know, be happy about that. And he'll, you know, let them enjoy that moment, but never <laughs> sit in that. It's like, okay, cool. That's what right. I was saying. So which is an expression actually that describes the ascent of the souls of the righteous in heaven, that they go from strength to strength. But I don't think a lot of people realize, even people who are familiar with the Rebbe's teachings, what that means when the Rebbe would always tell people after they succeeded with something, go from strength to strength. A lot of people take it to mean like, oh, what you did, that doesn't count. Go do something. Come on, come back and impress me. Do something big. That's not what it means at all. Go from one strength to another strength. In other words, it's simultaneously validating the fact that what you just did right now is considered a strength, strong. And at the same time saying we want more, but precisely, not because you failed, to the contrary, precisely because you succeeded, the success is creating momentum to breed further success. So it's not a rejection of the past accomplishment. Right. To the contrary, the greatest affirmation of the past accomplishment is to propel you to the next accomplishment. Yeah, Double like doubling yeah. down. Yeah, I mean, it makes me also think think of the verse, and I'd love to hear your take, the Shiviti Hashem Lenegdi Tamid, I think is like, you know, one of the most powerful verses. And, you know, thinking about like setting Hashem in front of me at all times, like in that same way, like always going. But also, Rav like neged, you could think about something, you know, as something you feel is coming against you, let's say in life, thinking about the shiviti, the equilibrium to, to be able to realize that it's all for the best and always having that sort of forward momentum, realizing like, okay, later on, I think there was a, maybe it was the Rebbe Maharaj, somebody came to him who was going through a difficult time. He had an inn, this was, you know, a long time ago, and he didn't know what to do because he was going to lose you know, he's like, I, I don't know, I can't keep this thing going. <laughs> and the Rabbi Maharaj said, basically, like, just put, prepare as if you're going to have hundreds of people for Shabbat, you know, and just get ready for, for Shabbat. Just get the inn ready for a bunch of guests, get, get the food ready for a bunch of guests. And, of course, this is the ultimate right. test of faith, because if it doesn't work, it's for right. sure 100% he's out, you know. So, of course, listening to the Rebbe, he's like, okay, I'm going to put my full faith in this. I'm going to listen. He knows that. So he gets everything ready, and... Right before Shabbat, this group, you know, they're asking around. They don't know where to go. And he's like, well, I actually, ha I can house all of you guys. I have a meal. It's, like, perfect. And he ends up making, you know, a good amount of money off of it and also not only just surviving. And he asks the Rebbe, like, how, how did you know this? And he just answered, you know, when you're on a higher level, you could see further, you know. And it's, like, just thinking about that when you're setting Hashem in front of you and just having that emunah and getting on that higher level to realize that any of the falls are for the elevation and they're all part of it. It's just, just another movement. When I think 
of my kid who's like now an amazing skateboarder. I, I love, like, I saw that he understood that, okay, this trick, he, he was in YouTube University. So he's looking up the next kickflip or whatever. And he would tell me, okay, this is going to be three months for me to get this trick. I'm going to fall, you know, and he knew he was going to fall for three months. He's going to miss him. And in, in, in three months time, he's going to get it. And I think as kids and with sports, like we realize, we realize that and we're okay with it. And we know that's part of the thing. It's this gradual, you know, process of falling. It's, it's this gradual growth, but it's through the falling. And I think when we get older, we view it as failing instead of growth, you know, the falling. And I think that's like, I seeing that with my kid, I was like, wow, what a powerful, what a powerful lesson. I just know? did a fundraiser last week. Like I mentioned to you before the four days of live streaming and I didn't reach my goal. And a lot of people were like, it was a very public thing. I mean, it wasn't like a quiet thing. It was very publicized and I didn't reach my goal. And people were like, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, no, I'm thrilled. And I actually put out a video that after I put it out, people said that was like very, uh, it encouraged them. They felt, they felt better from it. I said, last year I raised a certain <laughs> amount of money for my organization. And I felt like the goal wasn't high enough and that basically I had this lingering feel, feeling afterwards that I could have done more. So this year, I more than doubled the goal. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to make it easier so you don't have to imagine. The first, last year, we raised $200,000. So this year, I made the goal 500000 which is more than double. I didn't hit 500000 I hit 400000 But what I told people is not hitting my goal was fine because it was so high <laughs> that you see what happened. I doubled what I brought in last year. So, that's amazing yeah, yeah. Have reached so high, i would not have <laughs> yeah i would not have ever gotten to that goal and uh and i saw from you know each year i i worked it up incrementally each year with with the fundraising you know i started off as a complete one-man operation so it was just like i didn't even fundraise i just paid for everything myself and then slowly i got some i got yeah. i got some common sense and realized i can't be a one-man show and as we expanded, we started hiring more staff, which costs money. People expect to be paid, right? And then every time I would, I would raise more money, I would be able to get more help. Then I would be able to accomplish more to be able to raise more money and get more help. And it just became this virtuous circle. So there's so many lessons for me in that. And I, by the way, I recommend to everybody, uh, money is a big teacher. Uh, put yourself in a situation where you're forced to come through with a financial goal because it is a motivator and it's a real motivator. It's not something you can push off and it's not something subjective. It's very quantifiable. It's just, you know, for a lot of spiritual people, we get afraid of money or we think it's a distraction from our spiritual growth. It's not. It's a really good way of forcing you to grow. So I recommend to everyone, whether it's a fundraiser or, or, or some other goal that you have, or it could even be a goal about tzedakah, that you want to give a certain sized gift. You want to make, I have a friend who had, who had a goal that he was going to give away a million dollars before he turned 30. And, uh, and he did it, you know, and now he's given us millions of dollars. So, and end goals are good. That's amazing. Yeah. It makes me think of that the teaching where it's like the only thing that you have is like the charity that you give, you know, because everything else comes and goes. But that it's like, okay, that... I gave to somebody that I could say is like the money that I have, you know, yeah. that was me too. So hundred percent. So I don't want to take too much of your time for a, a 30 minute session. So I don't know if you need to, if you want to share I, anything to, have, to close I off have a or a, anything, a but this has been amazing. Midnight might have that I go to 
pretty religiously, which yeah, I'm going to leave to momentarily. So it's a good part off because I have it's the latest minion. Yeah, but as far as like a parting shot, parting words, I can say anything I want. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Okay, this is not really anything we've discussed so far, but I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it short and sweet, and it may not make sense because I'm not going to explain much. We live in a okay. day and age when there is more access to more information than ever before and more confusion than ever before. There's so much information, misinformation, disinformation, propaganda, absolute garbage, and then there's really good stuff. And what I want to encourage every single person to do who has access to social media, and if you're watching me right now, guess what? You have access to social media. I want to encourage you to be part of the solution. <laughs> and don't just be passive and consume information. And, and, and don't even just be more discerning about only consuming healthy and wholesome stuff, which is good. You should do that. But become active and put out healthy and wholesome stuff because we have to overwhelm the ratio of of garbage with lots of holy and and wholesome and healthy and uplifting messages and don't think well it's not such high production value oh i don't really have such a profound thought oh it's a repost it doesn't matter if there's something that's motivating you and that you feel you feel good about just doesn't have to even look good you just pipe it up put it out there and touch somebody with it that's to me like the call of the hour right now we have an army all over the world of people who have the most powerful weapon ever devised these 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 little devices you, you we, we could cause a revolution in the entire world so if just everyone who has access to uh to technology will just put out really positive spiritual uplifting messages will conquer the world in a good way 100 percent global consciousness shifting it towards it. the, the it. positive totally attainable 100%. all right well thank you so much for your time it's been amazing it's been fun for me and i think a lot of other people enjoy because right. i keep getting these messages that i see on top um thank saying you. that they loved it so thank you so much